1 Kings 17 and verse 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman of the mistress of the house fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also besought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. And I believe there's one great lesson, although there's many good lessons uh, in this text about the Lord, no doubt about it. And we'll, we'll probably try to mine some of those out as we go. But I believe there's one overarching lesson, one great lesson about the Lord, one main lesson about the Lord in this text, and that is the power of God. I believe that God is revealing not just to this widow woman, but also to his man, Elijah, that Elijah, I am a God who can do anything. I'm a God that can do the impossible. There is no limits to my power. The extent of my power is great. And I really couldn't think of a great title. I hadn't been real good with my titles today. I couldn't think of a good this morning. Just went with, it's good to be saved. Amen. Tonight, I couldn't really think of a good one. I'm just going to call it this, thinking about the power of God. I want to title the message tonight, The God That Can Do It All. He's just the God that can do it all. He can do anything with anything, anytime, anywhere. And I'm glad I serve a God like that, aren't you? Aren't you glad we serve a God? The, the, the theological term is omnipotence. He has all power. He is an all-powerful God. He is the God that can do it all. And when we come to this text, we find that the prophet is being sustained by this widow. In fact, verse number 17 says, After these things. And so it's really connecting us to what has gone on. And I'm not going to re-preach everything that we've looked at already, but you know that Elijah was sustained at the brook Cherith, and that was uh, dried up. And the ravens were bringing him bread and bringing him water, and that was uh, stopped. It ceased. And so God moved him to Zarephath in a Gentile territory to be sustained by a woman who only had enough just for one last meal for her and her boy, and then they were going to die. Sounds like a great plan, God, don't it? 
Man, you send me by a brook and it dries up. You send me to a one. If you're going to send me to somebody that's going to take care of me, how about Bill Gates? Amen. How about Elon Musk? That sounds good. I'd like them to take care of me. No, I'm going to send you to a little poor widow woman down here. And I'm going to let her take care of you. That way, you know, it ain't her taking care of you. It's me taking care of you. And that is the lesson that we learn in this chapter is that God takes care of His children. God is not a taker. God's not, And that's what this woman had to learn. By giving up, remember those laws of supply and demand we talked about. You give to God and you give what He demands and then you get His supply. He, he supplies what you need. And what an amazing story that is. Every single day, a fresh a fresh supply of God's provision for this woman and for her son and for Elijah. Now this miracle in the life of Elijah that we just read about is in conjunction with this previous miracle. All this is leading up to chapter 18, which we're going to get to in the coming weeks, where Elijah is going to stand on Mount Carmel And he is going to show the entire nation of Israel that has gone into pagan idolatry, he's going to show them that there is but one God in Israel, and His name is Jehovah, and He is the only God that is to be worshipped. But before God can use Elijah to show God to the entire nation, God has to prove Himself to Elijah first, and that's exactly what is going on. He must be enrolled in God's school, and he must be educated in God's classroom. And here he is. And I'm telling you something, the lessons that God teaches us, they're not always the easiest to learn. They're not always, uh, they're not always the easiest lessons because you know, his lessons aren't on a chalkboard. His lessons are in our heart and on our heart. They're in our lives. We live them every day. It's not in a textbook. Uh, it's in your life. You, you see them. You experience it with those phone calls. And you experience it with uh, the bad report at the doctor's office. And you experience it interacting with people at the church house. And that's where God teaches His lessons at. It's not in a physical classroom with a chalkboard and a, and a, and a textbook. That would be a lot easier. I wish we could just go to school and learn these things. But no, He wants us to really learn them. And how many of you know experience is the best teacher? And so God will sign us up and enroll. You don't have to sign up. He'll sign you up. Amen. He'll voluntold you. Amen. And, uh, and you'll get in his classroom. And that's the way that this is working. Elijah's learning these lessons. He's learning to trust God. He's learning who God is. He's learned to trust God in the dry times there at the brook. He's learned to trust God in the depleted times. Every day they go to that barrel, just a little bit left, but every day it's still there. And every day they have something to eat. And now Elijah is going to learn to trust God in the dead times, when things are dead and it seems like there is no hope. You can still trust God. And that is the lesson for us, that there is absolutely nothing beyond the power of God. You see, where humanity gives up hope is at death. That's where humanity says it's over. There is no more hope. But can I tell you something with God, with death and God, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. Uh, That is not hopeless at all. In fact, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the one that gives us hope beyond the grave. He is the life giver. And, and, uh, and, and, and we already see God's power working in life, but we're going to see that there is, if God can raise the dead, what can He not do, right? I mean, to, to ravens bringing food, that's an amazing thing. 
No doubt about it. A, a, a barrel and a, and, a, and a cruise that never runs out, that's an amazing thing. But to raise somebody from the dead, and by the way, that's never happened before. The text we read tonight, that is the very first resurrection in your Bible. It's never happened before. It's not even in the realm of, of comprehension or possibility. But yet God proves that He is God of the impossible. He is God of the natural. We've already seen that. He controls the weather. He shut up the rain. Uh, he controls the animals, right? Ravens are bringing food. Uh, he controls uh, uh, creation and nature, the brook. He causes it to dry up when He says for it to. He controls everything that is natural. He controls the material. He controls what is material, substance, like, like food in a barrel and oil in a cruise and all that. He controls all that. But God is not just the God of the natural and He's not just the God of the material, but God is the God of the impossible. And that's what we are reading about here in this text. You see, this widow woman knew a little bit about her pagan gods. Baal was supposedly the god of life. He could give life. He could cause like a fertility god and cause families to have children. And then there was another god that was prominent in the land of the Zidonians, and that was a, a god by the name of... Of course, you know I'm talking about a false made-up god, right? God by the name of Mott, M-O-T. And he was the God of death. And these two gods were at a constant struggle, supposedly in their legends and in their, in their teachings there inside. And they, Baal and Mott, they were always fighting life and death. But what's amazing here is that what we find is something that absolutely blows this woman's mind. And it's not just that God, it's not just that, that she has a son. That is life given. And it's not just that she had a son taken away. That's life snuffed out and life taken away. But it's that only Jehovah God can cause there to be life after death. And that is something that is absolutely crucial to her eternal soul for her to know that. And we know that resurrection in the Bible, it is the ultimate proof that God can do anything. It is the ultimate validation. We see that our faith tonight is rested on what? On the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If God can do that, then God can do anything. Not even death is a match for the power of God. And I just want to say a few things and make a few observations from our text about the power of God, the God that can do it all, the God that can do anything with anything, anytime, anywhere. The our amazing, omnipotent God. First of all, I want to say that we see the fullness of His power, first of all, in the situations that He allows. In the situations that He allows. When we get to our text here, we're, we're connected to what God has already done after these things. Now, this drought lasted three years. We don't know exactly where we're at when we come to this story. We don't know if, if, if they've been living out of the barrel and out of the crucible. We don't know if it's been two months or three months or one year or, or 18 months. I, I don't know how long it's been, but, 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 but they're not at the end of the drought yet, so it hasn't been the full 
three years, or Jesus said it was three and a half years in the New Testament. hasn't been the full three and a half years yet, but they're into this thing every day. There's provision there, and there's a supernatural. They've been living in the supernatural provision of God. Every day there was enough meal and enough oil for them to make a cake for herself and, and for her son and for Elijah. And I tell you what, we, we all live right there. Whether you realize it or not, you may not have, have a barrel that never runs out. You may not have a, have a cruise that never fails. How many wish you had a gas tank like that? Somebody say amen right there. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Man, you had it always stayed on full. Let me tell you, if your gas hand's always staying on full, you might want to get that thing checked, all right? You'll probably, probably be uh, on the side of the road before you know it. But wouldn't that be amazing right there? A gas tank that never run out. But can I tell you what? You may not have a gas tank that never runs out, but every single one of us through all this crazy time we're living in, we've always had the money to put the gas in our tank, haven't we? It's always there. Isn't that a blessing right there? You say, you say I don't have a lot left after I get done. It don't matter. It's always there. We live in the supernatural provision of God. Every single day is a miracle. You say, I get up and I work for my money and I, I know where my money comes from. I'll tell you what, you get up every morning you got the strength to get out of bed and go to work and do that. Where does that come from? That comes from God. I'll tell you what, God is the one sustaining you. God is the one providing for you. And we all live, we all love living under the provision of God. That's easy. In fact, Everyone would love God if He was just a God that gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and, and that's all that there was to it. But can I tell you something about God? He's not just a God that is concerned with our physical comfort. He is a God that is also concerned with our spiritual condition. And that's why He is not just a God that has solutions. But listen to me now. He is a God that allows problems. He does. In fact, can I say it like this? God is a God who creates problems. He does. God, sometimes, He'll create a storm for you to go to. He create, he'll create a valley. I remember that old song that said, This valley is for me. Man, and God will make a valley sometimes for us. God will create a problem just for us. And we see the power of God. I know we see the power of God in the resurrection, and we'll get to that. But can I tell you, we see the power of God at work long before we ever get to a, an answer, long before we ever get to a solution. We see the omnipotence of God and the power of God working in the fact that He allows a problem. Now, if I was this woman, I would be genuinely confused. Wouldn't you? I'm perplexed. I'm scratching my head because when I first encountered God, and I'm putting that in quotation marks because I know she encounters the man of God, but that's her, that's her connection to God. He represents God. He represents the Word of God. And so when this woman first encounters God, He's there to sustain her. He said, I don't want you to die. And I don't want your son to die. And I'm going to give you a miracle every single day so we keep that from happening. God in her life is a God that comes to her to prevent tragedy, to prevent death. And now all of a sudden, I don't know about you, but I think when, when, when my son is lying sick and then all of a sudden he dies in my arms, I think for a moment I'm going to scratch my head and I'm going to be just a little confused. God, what are you doing? Are you trying to sustain us? Are you trying to kill us? Or God, are you trying to help me or are you trying to hurt me? Lord, what in the world are you doing? And she's genuinely upset just like any of us would be. And she lashes out 
at God. Isn't that what she does? She lashes out, verse number 18, and she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O man of God? What in the world is going on? She gets mad at the preacher who is a representation of God. She might as well have, might as well have lifted her head toward heaven and, and, and cursed God and said, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing these things to, 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 to go on in my life? And uh, she even believes that it's her own guilt. God is punishing me. All this has been done. It's a big conspiracy. God is visiting some kind of sin on my life. It's something that I've done in the past. Can I tell you, man, I am relating to this woman so much when I read this text. Because it seems like every time God takes something away out of my life, it seems like every time God allows a problem, God allows a trial in my life, that's exactly what we do. We tend to get upset at God and we tend to say, what have I done? Or, or, or what, 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 What's going on? Have I done something wrong? I, I mean, I'm trying to assert. I thought, I thought to, you know, I made the meal. I did what you told me to do. And now look what's going on in my life. And we literally begin to blame God. In our life. In fact, when you go through suffering, it really exposes how we really feel about God. It is, it does. It's really hard to tell what your theology really is when everything's going good. It's when everything goes dead, when everything dies, when what we love the most, when it dies in our arms. What comes out of our heart? What comes out of our, our mouth? What comes in, what goes through our mind? Man, those are some things that we really, that we, where we really wrestle with who God is. God, what are you doing in my life? Because there's a little, uh, uh, who's a good prosperity preacher? Uh, Kenneth Copeland, is he a prosperity? There's a little Kenneth Copeland living in every one of us. Yeah, you do. That's kind of a scary thought to think about, but there's a little, there's a little TD Jakes living inside of all of us. I wish mine would come out and preach a little bit better sometimes, amen, but. There's a, little, there's a little prosperity preacher that, that believes if, if we just give God and do good and, you know, we pay our tithes and, and we're faithful to church and, and then that kind of inoculates us. That's like if it's a vaccine, right? Not like the COVID vaccine. Those don't work, but maybe another kind of vaccine. It, it just, you know, it, 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 it inoculates us. It immunizes us from, from any kind of trouble. If I just do right, God, you'll do right. And we feel like, Lord, if I give to you, then you'll give to me. And, and, and Lord, if I just do this, then then you'll do this. And can I tell you, it's not always that way. And when God allows some suffering in your life, it's when it really comes out what you really believe about God, what you think about God. See, the problem was this woman is she believed in a God. See, God, let me, let me, let me, let me expand this just a little bit. God is, God is, is, is step by step revealing himself to her. At first, she didn't know anything about Jehovah God, but maybe about what she heard. Maybe she heard a thing or two. And then she encounters Elijah, and she learns that God is a, is a miracle-working God, and God is a, is, a, is, a, is a miraculous supplier, and God can supply needs and all that. But she's, she's about to learn something totally different about God. And the problem was, is not that this woman didn't believe in God, but that this woman did not have a big enough view of God. You see, He's the God that can do it all. He's the God that does it all. He's a God that not only can give, that's an easy God to believe in. In fact, that's the God we all want to believe in. But He's not just the God that can give, but He's the God that can take. 
You see, Job had a big view of God. He had the right view of God. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord, what? Taketh. That's the big view of God. So you see, we want a God that's just big enough to give us everything we want. But the thing is, God is bigger than that. He's not just, enough to, he's not just big enough to give you everything you want and everything you need. But He is a God that is big enough and in charge enough that He knows what to take out of your life. You see, if all this woman had was the barrel and the oil and the meal, if all she had was that experience, she would never have matured faith in her life. She had to have this other experience in her life so that she would have a more mature faith in her life to realize that God is a God. Either He is God or He's not. Either He's God enough to do what He wants to do and allow situations in our life, or He's not. And God is big enough to solve problems. Yes, she learned that. Yes, that was grade number one. But now she's got to take the next step and learn that God is not just big enough to solve problems. He's big enough to create problems. And He's big enough to fix situations, but He's even big enough to, he's even big enough to allow situations in our life, even ones that we don't like. See, sustaining her depleted barrel did a little bit for her faith. But raising her dead boy did a lot more for her faith. Because you see, what's the conclusion? Verse number 24, she said, Now by this I know thou art a man of God and, and the word in thy mouth is truth. I know, now I know. That's where God is trying to get us to. That's where God is moving us to. He's moving us to these. Now I know. And we're all like a bunch of little teenagers. I know. We always say, I know, I know, I know. That's what teenagers like to say, right? I love picking on teenagers, sorry. I know. And then the other thing they like to say is what? I don't know. They say, I know, and then they say, I don't know. That's all they know. And we're like those teenagers. I know. You say, well, the preacher says this about God, and the Bible says this about God, and the song says this about God. We say, I know. Amen, amen, amen. But until you go through it, you don't know. Now say amen to it. That's fine just because it's true. But until God lets you live through some things, you don't know until you know. Amen. Amen. You might, when the preacher says, God will sustain you financially, you might say, amen, amen. But until you're slapped broke, you're living by faith and you're looking and you're trusting God. You don't know. Amen. God will sustain you when you're going through bad health situations and your health is failing. God will be with you. But you don't know it until you're there, Brother Cross. Amen. There's things I preach and I preach them with faith and I believe them. But there's things Brother Cross could preach the very same things and they just hit just a little bit different. Because that man knows. Amen. Hey, God will bring your prodigal back home. And I believe that. God's done it. God will do it. But man, what if it's you praying for a lost child? It's a little bit different, ain't it? That's why God puts us through some things. See, our God not only knows the problems that we have. Aren't you glad we have a God that knows the problems we have? But he, He's not just a God that knows the problems that we have. He's a God that knows what problems we need. He knows what pressure 
is going to grow our faith in Him. I think about what Peter said. He said in 1 Peter 1, he said that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He said that the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold. Why is it more valuable than gold? It's because what it produces. When God tries our faith, it matures, it grows, it purifies, it strengthens, it enlarges. And so God will have to put us through some suffering time. God allows problems. And I'm going to tell you something. He is God and either He's God in the good times and God in the bad times or He's not God at all. If the God you have is only good when He's being good to you, then you don't have the real God. You're serving yourself. Amen. You either got to let Him be God and give life and take life and do what He wants to do or He's not God at all in your life. Amen. And so we see His power. We see His omnipotence. And I didn't mean to poke a hole in everybody's you know, balloon, uh, you know, burst everybody's bubble tonight. I'm glad God can raise, and we'll shout about that. I want to shout about that here in a minute, and I want to. But first I want to let you know, sometimes God lets things die. That's just part of life. He's God enough to make them live, and He's God enough to make them die. He is the Lord of life and death. They are in the power of His hand. Amen. Not only do we see the power of God in the situations that He allows, but secondly, I want you to notice we see the power of God in the supplication that He answers and the supplication that he answers. Do you see what is going on here? And let me just tell you what I mean by this right here. Let me just spoil the point right here, and then I'll, I'll talk about it just a little bit because I'm excited about this, that God's power. You know, you know how you see God's power in your life? You know see how it's unleashed, how it's manifested, how, how it's revealed in our life? It's revealed through prayer. That's where it is. Prayer is where the power is at. God moves in our life through prayer. His power is manifested when we pray. Now, did you notice the different responses to the same exact event? Do you see it? Do you notice the two different reactions to this tragedy? You got the woman. Of course, this is her son. I'm not, I'm not hating on this woman, okay? I ain't no telling what I would do, no telling what you would do, okay? Put yourself, forget for a moment this is a Bible story you've heard all your life and just think about it. This is a woman who she thought God had put His blessings on she thought God was blessing her and blessing, and, and He was. She thought, I mean, the last thing in her mind, she thought whatever happened is that her son would die, and all of a sudden, he's dead. No life in him. He got so sick, which means this wasn't just an instantaneous thing. This boy was sick. This boy was sick for I don't know how long, but he fell sick, and it was so sore, the Bible said, that there was no breath left in him. We're not sure exactly what was going on. Any speculation is just that speculation, but this boy's sick. And so, I mean, here she is. Do you see her first reaction? We already said something about it in verse number 18. She blames God. She blames the preacher. And by the way, when you go through suffering, everybody, that's, that's one of our first fleshly reactions. We're looking for somebody to blame. I'm just trying to point the finger at it and say, this is your fault. That's why people, when they get hurt, they look at the church. This is your fault. They look at the preacher. This is your fault. They look at somebody. They're looking for somebody to blame. 
When a lot of times we just need to look up and not trying to find any blame, but just say, Lord, we're not looking for blame. We're just looking for you. What are you doing in this situation? What can you do in this situation? What, are you, what do you want to do in this situation? And that's exactly what she's doing. We, we find different reactions. Elijah takes the boy and he takes him up to his loft, his, 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 his little prophet's chamber that's, that's upstairs probably. They say all, the, all these houses in Israel, they all had flat... Or they're not in Israel, but in these, uh, in these ancient lands, Israel and surrounding areas, they were pretty much all the same as far as houses. They had flat roofs, right? They had just a flat roof and you'd build just probably... This ain't much. It's probably just a little lean-to on top of a flat roof. Had some, like a ladder, some stairs. You go outside and you walk up to it and just stay in just a little shelter that's on top of this roof. That's where Elijah is staying at, and that's where he takes this young boy. But we see different reactions, right? The same problem, the same exact situation, the same trial, the same tragedy. And this woman, she blames God, but Elijah takes the boy and he cries out to God. This woman thinks it's the end. This is it. It's all over. There's nothing beyond death. And, and yet there's another one that believes there's more. One runs from God, mad at God, and one runs to God. One sees only a tragedy, and the other, Elijah, he sees an opportunity for God to move. And even though God has been providing for this woman, she believed that somehow God was against her and God was punishing her for some sin in her life. She saw God as an adversary instead of an ally in her life. And that suffering revealed that. And on the other hand, when we get to Elijah, he takes the little boy and he goes upstairs and uh, to, to his little loft there and he's confused. He's perplexed too. You see, I mean, you see his prayer? His prayer is, Lord, why? Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? It's a question mark, too. She's got questions. He's got questions. But I want you to notice they're totally different because he takes his to the Lord. His is a matter of prayer. He goes to a secret place and he expects an answer from God. What in the world, Elijah, are you doing? I don't know, verse 21. Anything you say about that verse and what you think he's doing, God bless you. You can have your opinions if you want to, but you have no idea what he's doing. Nobody's ever done that before. There's never been a resurrection. He didn't consult the manual, you know, the, the resurrection manual. What do you do? Step one, step two, step three. Elijah is not some kind of spiritual, biblical wizard where he can just wave his magic wand and do something here. It's not what Elijah is. You know what Elijah is? Just like James said, he's just a man. Subject to like passions like as we are. Yet he prayed. He prayed earnestly. Elijah was just a man, but listen, he was a man of prayer. And when his problem struck, the woman complained, the woman got mad at God, but Elijah took the problem to God. Now, I don't know what he's doing in verse 21, but since we're... Since I'm the one on the microphone, I'm going to throw out my opinion, all right? After I just you know, yelled at y'all about having an opinion on it. You know what I think he was doing? I think he was doing what he did when he, when he got in his secret place and prayed. I think he just stretched out himself before God. 
I think that's what he did when he got in his seat. I think Elijah said, I'm doing all, the only thing I know to do, I'm not a wizard. I, I'm not a, even though God had wrought miracles by his hands, he said, that's not what I do. He said, I don't have some kind of manual. All I know to do is to call on God. And Elijah was silent before the woman, but he was loud before God. And can I tell you, that's exactly what we need to be. When trials come, don't get on Facebook and lamb. Don't, don't malign God. Don't blame other people. Don't just run down the church and run down the preacher and run down the Bible and run down God and run it. Listen, shut your mouth before everybody else, but get in that secret place and tell Him every single thing that is on your heart. Don't ever feel a hesitant about pouring out your complaint before God. David did that. David shows us how you pray before God when you're burning about something. You pour out your complaint. Just tell God about it. It's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to say, I don't understand. That's what Elijah said right there, isn't it? Say, God, what are you doing? Now, he didn't say that for that woman. He said, give me thy son. Now, I don't know where to put this in the message, but it's just something I noted while I was studying this text the last couple of weeks. It's amazing that that was the first thing that he said. That was the first thing he said to the woman when he met her. Give me. And then he says it again. Give me. He said, give me something. Give it to me. Give it. And he took that burden and he gave it. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to get anything done with God, you're going to have to take your burdens and give them to the Lord. That's what that woman was doing, wasn't she? She took her burden. She said, there's nothing else I can do. This is beyond hope. I don't even know what to do. And she gave it to somebody that could. And that's exactly what we do in prayer. We take it to God. Give, Cast all your care upon the Lord. He careth for you. You see, our action is predicated upon what we believe about God. If you really believe that He cares for you, you'll cast your care upon Him. And not cast blame on God. Not cast doubt on God. Not cast suspicion on God. But cast your care on the Lord. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He'll sustain you. Amen. That's exactly what's going on here. We see that God answers Prayer. He's just as confused. He's just as perplexed. But one thing different between the woman and Elijah, he takes it to God. And that is the difference. That's the biggest difference. Take your burden to the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. God raised this boy from the dead. We see that. We know that. God doesn't answer every prayer like we hope he does. Is God in the miracle working business? Yes. Yes. He's in the miracle working business. Can God perform a miracle? Yes. Does God do it? Yes. Can you schedule it on your calendar? No. It's up to God. And there are times where God will give people the faith to believe God to do a great miracle. And He does those things. But sometimes the miracle is not what He does with your situation, but what He's doing inside your soul through that situation. And you got to remember that. And even if it doesn't change your situation, and we've heard this about prayer, and this is so true, sometimes prayer changes things, but we know that it changes me. And that is the biggest deal. Prayer is not about getting your agenda approved in heaven. It's about getting God's agenda accomplished on earth. And that's what we're doing. And how will we ever know the extent of God's power if we don't pray? You have not, James said, why? Because you ask not. Man, you know what? 
It's amazing to me that Elijah took this boy up and prayed for him, for his life to be restored to him when he had no previous reference. No ref- there, was no, there was no previous reference about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. There, there's no resurrections. There's no resurrections at all. That's faith to believe that God... It's one thing to say, God, you did it back then. I know you can do it again. But it's another thing to say, you've never done this before, but I would love for you to do it now. And that's just the extent. He's the God that can do it all. He can do above and beyond all that we can ask or even think according to the power that worketh in us. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, you'll never find out until you start praying. Until you start praying. God help us to be. You see, you got you got a tale of two people. You got a complainer and you got a prayer. A prayer. You got somebody's praying about it, somebody's complaining about it. Somebody's bitter about it, and somebody that's burdened about it. Trust the Lord. And there's a difference between a bitterness and a burden. I want a burden, but I don't want to get bitter. I don't want to get bitter. And then lastly, not only do we see God's power at work and the situations that he allows and the supplications that he answers, but then lastly, in the salvation that he accomplishes. You see, when we get down to verse number 24, this is the point of the entire situation. It was to bring this woman to a complete faith in God. The woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God. Now that, 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 that boggles my mind just a little bit. Because he's like, now you know? What about that barrel? What about that meal? That's a pretty cool thing. Remember the whole, I mean, I just think, you know, if the whole gas tank thing, you know, if God's doing that for me, I would say, you know, I know, God, I know you're real. Amen. But man, we, 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 don't we get so, uh, God can, we, we get, it's one of the miracles that you just get used to because it's every day. The miracle of the, the, miracle of the, the, the meal and the, and the oil, it was just every day, wasn't it? Just every day. You know those everyday miracles you get, you get tired of? If God rained Krispy Kreme donuts down from heaven every day, you'd get sick of them. And on about a, on a, on about a day, 1,274, it wouldn't be no big deal. You'd just go out and pick them up. You say, I don't know about that. That's exactly what children of Israel did. They had a miracle every day, those daily miracles. See, God's working miracles in your life every day, and you're overlooking them. You're overlooking them. You're getting tired. You're, you're, while you sit here with your arms crossed and complaining about God, you don't realize God, man, He's performing a miracle every day, just the fact that you're here and that you're... God's performing miracles every day. Every day. But now she says, by this I know. That means there, there come a point where every day she was going to get some of that meal and, and pouring some of that oil, and there was, still doubt, there was still doubt in her mind. I can't imagine that, but that's, that's, it's so, ain't it? There was doubt in her mind. I don't know if this, this preacher living upstairs, I don't even know if he's really the real deal. <laughs> While she's making biscuits on day, you know, 1,274, you know. I don't even, I don't know if he's the... Are you kidding me? But that's where she was. You know what God had to do? God had to do something in her life that would bring her faith to maturity, complete faith. Because it wasn't just about sustaining her belly. It wasn't just about her son. It wasn't just about her son dying, you know, or not dying. Because here's the thing. Even, even after this resurrection, the boy's going to die again. You understand? There was something that needed to take place on the inside of this woman that was much more important 
than how long she lived or how much food she had or anything like that. And that was she needed to come to a complete faith in who God was in the Word of God and in the man of God. And the power of God. If you want to really see the power of God, I'm going to tell you where it's seen. It's seen when God can get a hold of a sinner's heart and save a sinner. You see, because she was, the greatest miracle in this text is not the barrel, it's not the meal, it's not the oil, it's not the bottle, it's not the, it's not the son being raised from the dead. The greatest miracle in this text is a heart that has turned to God in complete faith. That is the great miracle in this text. And what was it predicated on? What was her, what was her, her, her faith resting on? It was resting on a resurrection. And that's where our faith rests as well. Our faith is resting on a resurrection. God raised His Son from the dead. And we all, at one point in our lives, if you're saved, you looked at that and you said, Now I know, I know, God. If you can do that, I know that you can do absolutely anything. It's amazing to me how when this thing happened with her son, she was so riddled with guilt. She was so full of guilt. And she said, you've, take, you've killed my son because of my sin. You've killed my son because of my sin. You're punishing me for my sin. And though she was completely off base, this woman knew something inside of her. It's in the heart. Even pagans, they know this. There's something connected with sin and death, isn't there? The wages of sin is death. She knew that internally. Nobody taught her that. She didn't sit in a Sunday school class. You know what? She just knew that. You sin, you die. But the good news of the gospel, and now we have the full revelation and the full picture of what resurrection means and all this. The good news of the gospel is God's not going to kill your son because you're a sinner. God killed His son because you're a sinner. And God raised His son from the dead. And so if you put your faith and trust in that, you can live forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the good news. That's where the power of God is seen. It is seen in the gospel. It is seen in salvation. And the resurrection is the greatest proof. Miss Maddie, you can come around the piano. I'm done tonight. But I was thinking about this. Those, those Pharisees, man, they got Jesus. I want to say it's around Matthew chapter 12. And they got Jesus and he said, we want to see a sign. We want to see something. You got you to show us something. You got to show us a miracle. You know, do, do something. Now, he'd already done a bunch, right? He said, give us a sign. Here's what he said. He says, an evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. And he said, there shall be no sign given except for one. He said, you'll get one sign. Here it is. It's the sign of the prophet Jonas. It's Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, even so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He said, you know what your, you, do you know what your sign is? Your sign is the death, the burial and the resurrection. He said, the resurrection, if you won't believe that, you won't believe anything at all. And can I tell you, the resurrection, the fact that God raised himself from the dead. Even Elijah, Elijah couldn't, Elijah couldn't raise somebody from the dead. God, had to, God did it. But Jesus raised himself from the dead because he is God. And I'm going to tell you something, the fact that it, that is where our faith rests. Our faith rests in a resurrection. And if God can save us, man, what can He not do? If God can raise a son from the dead, if He can take an old sinner that's dead in trespasses and sin and bring them to new life, what can God not do? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I thought about this. 
God creates struggles, and He does. We don't like to think about that, but He does. God creates struggles so He can create solutions, so He can create saints. And that's exactly what He's working on. He's more concerned about your soul than He is your stomach. Amen. He's more concerned about your soul than He is your bank account. And sometimes He'll have to squeeze both of those things. <laughs> or other things. So He can do some work on the inside, our spiritual condition. But I'm so glad that He does. Just remember this. Don't, don't think ill of God. Don't think bad about God. God's not a taker. God's a giver. That's what she learned that. And then she learned that, well, God's big enough that when He does take something, He's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to grow us. And He's trying to help us. And again, God gave, she gave up, God gave her back way more than what she could ever give up for Him. And I guess my prayer tonight is just this, as we stand together all over the building, Miss Maddie's playing, it's just, God, increase my faith. Lord, give me grace. Like the song says, Lord, give me grace to trust you more.